0: Cast Strength, the whiskey podcast, brought to you by myself, Torin, and my brother and co-host, Ronan. Follow us on Instagram at Cast Strength Pod, or on Twitter at Cast Strength Pod. Enjoy the show. Slash. Yes, we're back. We're back with a bang, as some might say. Uh, welcome back to Cast Strength. The Whiskey Podcast, brought to you by myself, Torrin, my co-host, Ronan. Hi, how you doing? I'm not bad, what have you been up to?
1: Oh, not a lot, just living in lockdown, essentially. Oh, really? Yeah, pretty much.
0: You'll The same, same as everybody. You'll be happy to hear I went and played around the golf the last week. You know, I thought, since you go on about golf every podcast... Uh, Even though I don't play it myself? No, you don't play it. I've never seen you play it. Didn't, didn't know you were that interested in it, but... You're a big fan, supposedly, Any golf so, this week? So how did how did the golfing go? I, it was all right actually. We played the uh, Texas scramble, so it was a bit. Where did you play? Uh Macranish. Ah, uh, yeah, down the bottom of the Sound of Kintyre. Did, I'm sure. did you end up in the Atlantic? No, no, we actually played the the 90 course. So we we're, were nowhere near it. Yeah. Okay. I think I think for non golfers after a few holes, uh, you're kind of not really interested anymore, but we actually because there was a group of four of us, so uh, we all just had to make a good shot, like one in four, and <laughs> we, we managed that every hole, so know, it fair. was good, it was good fun,
1: very good, very good. So, today we're just trying the one whiskey today, Um we thought because we've completed the whiskey league, there's no point in doing two because one's always going to drop out and then it'll just. Too much, so we just thought we'll stick to one whiskey. Yeah,
0: and I, and I think actually I don't know for the listeners, but my favorite podcast that we have recorded yeah. so far has been the Ben Nevis because yeah, we yeah. were really able to kind of delve in deep into that kind of one topic on bit be- of Ben Nevis. We looked at water and stuff like that. We yeah. looked to the the Nevis Distillery, which was a distillery that used to be in Fort William, not too far from Ben Nevis. So yeah, I think we're going to be able to look at what I mean, well, the whisky we're going to try today, which you haven't revealed yet. Yeah. i you do it. Um, so we're trying the
1: Glen Kinshe 12-year-old, uh, it's at 43%, um, Glen Kinshie, obviously a Lowland distillery.
0: Yeah, a Lowland whisky, uh, Glen Kinshie distillery is found in East Lothian, just outside Edinburgh. It's kind of noted as Edinburgh's malt distillery, but it's actually in a town called Pincateland, which is closer right, okay. to the kind of bigger town of Tranent. Uh, oh yeah, okay. You know, it's kinda I think it's about twenty miles outside Edinburgh. Um obviously a place I used to live. I've never seen the distillery. <laughs> uh East Lothian's got some nice places, but this must be tucked somewhere. Kind of tucked. Hard, away. T- tucked away. So, like.
1: Yeah, well, but first
0: we'll do the beers. Yeah, of course. Um what beer are you trying first? So I'm trying kind of appropriately named uh for the upcoming Euros twenty twenty championship, which yep. is uh will always be remembered for being played in 2021. Yeah. Uh, this is the Yes Sir I Can Boogie Lager from Two Towns Down Bruin, which is in Paisley. Do Bruin. you think, maybe listeners will know this, but
1: do you think, see that when, is it Baccarat? Yeah. And then Yes Sir I Can Boogie started getting sung by the, the Scottish players after they qualified against Serbia. Yeah. Where that song actually came from. Or oh, do you think the band Baccarat know? Well, I this think they'll know. I just wonder, I'm not saying
0: they don't know at the brewery, yeah. I'm just
1: saying when people thought, oh, yes, I can boogie, Scotland were singing it, oh,
0: how it actually came about that Scotland were singing it. I would be surprised if anyone hasn't seen Andy Considine's Stag Do video, if you up, haven't. Is it Little Bo Peep he's
1: dressed up as? Is, that, is He's it,
0: definitely dressed up. He's dressed up as some sort of... He's like, definitely got a skirt on. Got, yeah. He's got like bright red lips as well. He's uh, got like a blonde pigtail wig and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah,
1: that, that's where yes, or I can boogie, and I would encourage anyone to... To go and listen to that and watch that on YouTube.
0: It is quite disturbing. It is disturbing. And it's also you would have thought Andy Considine would've actually got to the Euros. He's been left out of Steve know. Clark's we'll get him. Team, in. We'll get which, your song. We'll have as a you, laugh. I actually feel quite sorry for him. Like he's rallied the whole country. And uh, through his performances I, I, as well, he was actually quite good for being what a thirty-three year old. I think he picked up his first cap at like 33, so yeah. I mean,
1: he, did, he did all right. I mean, there's something to be said for um, footballers who, when they get into their national team, and I think this happens a lot in Scotland, oh, they're a good professional. Well, should, aye, surely that's a given as a football player. You shouldn't get in it, you play for your national team because you turn up and do your job. Yeah, like, I think if
0: you're 33 as well and you're a footballer, you need to be a good professional. You, can't yeah. have, you don't have the youthfulness of kind yeah. of... Half I'd say scraping thing.
1: the barrel if Andy Considine
0: was getting a call up. That's. What uh, we I think. I think. No. Anyway, this isn't a football no, podcast. Sorry. What
1: What beer do you have? Oh, beer. Um, so I'm having quite an interesting beer. It's from Northern Monk Brewery, um, and what they've done is they've did their take on the Nigerian Guinness. Okay, so yeah. if you listen to the podcast, you'll know big fans of Guinness. Well, yeah, yeah, we are big. We are big fans of Guinness. I like your point. And I've and I've tried the Nigerian Guinness before, and it is completely different. It's a lot sweeter. It's a higher strength. Um, They would bottle it or can it, I guess, at a higher strength. For travel purposes, coming yeah.
0: right. So, so this this is actually made by this is the made same company. Well, uh, Guinness obviously, they're, yeah. Their main breweries at St James's Gate. For, yeah. for listeners that don't know, Guinness also have breweries around the world around to the keep world, up yeah. for demand. There's yeah. a good few in Africa. I mean, yeah. Africa is obviously a very large place. So, yeah. uh, There's I think there's a few in America. There's
1: definitely one in Kuala Lumpur because I had the joy of having a pint of Guinness in Kuala Lumpur. And it's actually the nicest pint of Guinness I've ever had. Right. And that's saying something, because I've had quite a lot of pints of Guinness. So was it, a, was it a pint or was it a can? Pint of Guinness. And I said, wow. This and on is draft? Like, on draft. I said, wow, this is... This is I, I, was, I was with someone. I wasn't just saying it out loud to everybody else in the bar. I said, this is a really nice pint of Guinness. And he says, yeah. new Guinness factory's just opened last year in oh, Kuala really? Lumpa. When was that? When was that? Oh, what?
0: 2017, quite, I, I can mind going to the... Um, the kind of Guinness brewery experience in Dublin. Yeah. And obviously I knew there was Guinness breweries around the world and I'm sure the guy behind the bar said every pint of draft Guinness is brewed in St. James's Gate. And I thought he was kind of well-worded when what he meant by that was when you get the Guinness, porter bottles, you get cans. Yeah. Uh, what I mean to say is they can't all be brewed at St James's Gate, Dublin. Yeah. But maybe it was just a wee white lie to keep the tourists, which I was. Yeah. Um, happy.
1: Yeah. Well, no, it was a pint of Guinness and it was lovely. And it was, they said, that's because of the new it's Guinness factory. Road. So back to I, I can't game. imagine, like, kegs of Guinness are travelling well. I no, I, I wouldn't say that. So, yeah, I mean, there's the, I'd say a well-known fact that um, there's more, Guinness drank in Lagos, Lagos, Nigeria, than there is in Dublin itself. Yeah, yeah. And that, but that's the Nigerian Guinness, and it's 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 a lot sweeter and stuff. And this is this is very nice, but it's at eight point three percent as well. And so it's very
0: interesting. And so that's not Guinness. That's from Northern this is, Monks. This is aye, it's not, it's <laughs> not Guinness. <laughs> it's aye, it's so. Northern
1: Monks' expression of Nigerian Guinness. Right, they've okay. tried to copy Nigerian Guinness with their own little twist as well. Okay,
0: and they've been quite open about it. Yeah, there's a big,
1: um, one of those ones that the label peels back and it tells you the whole story um, about why they've done it and everything like that. But yeah, they're saying this is what we've tried to do. Uh, the brewer, or whoever's came up with the idea, lived in a part of Bradford. Right. Uh, that made, uh, A lot of Nigerian people lived and he grew up within that sort of culture and everything like that. So this is what sort of sparked his inspiration. Oh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah it's, quite, it's quite cool. And the beer's, the beer's quite...
0: Over to Ronan for the Whiskey News.
1: So, Whiskey News. I've got two... Well, I, I was going to say semi-serious, but I guess they are pretty serious And for a lot of people. Very, very serious for a lot of people. Um, first bit of news. Uh, the UK government launches a review into the US tariffs, which is quite interesting. So they are speaking about reducing the tariffs that the UK has on American whiskey. Right. Um, it, now, there's already been a suspension of the tariffs that the US put on... The EU, um, I think they were fighting over some planes uh, and then they started putting tariffs on steel and everything like
0: that. Yeah. But they tip for tat. Almost, tip for tat. But, but it's almost and tip for tat, but it kind of influences normal person's lives, Aye. doesn't it? So it's not really tip for tat. No. So
1: when the UK left the EU, they basically suspended... Did that
0: eventually happen? Ah, it did. Um,
1: <laughs> they, they they suspended the tariffs that was on... Scotch whiskey for, I think it was a three-month period of time, which is very, very good. Um, but then this is the sort of UK government making their... sort of... Their, oh, we'll do this then their for you. Their almost. chess play, Their chess play, and then eventually all the tariffs, any extra tariffs will be dropped. It does probably help, though. Although he was mad, Donald Trump was t So he was probably pretty, quite happy putting tariffs. t in terms of, like, aye, alcohol. Alcohol, was, aye, like, aye, not like... Soaked up to his eyeballs aye. and methamphetamines and he stuff. He was getting, like, the, remember, <laughs> the UV lights to get rid of the COVID. It was ah, it in bleach? Um, injected bleach, um, yeah. Injected bleach. But he would not drink alcohol because it was bad for you. Hey, well, exactly, So yeah. I, I think there's something to be said when you're trying to discuss alcohol tariffs to actually having a president that Tito, um and was probably the, the invention of whiskeys, that old Joe Biden, that, um it's more beneficial. So yeah, that's came into place. Um, And then the the, the second, or if you want to go into your whiskey news, oh, that you've got... No, you're, got, on, you're, yeah, a, you're, you're on a good floor. So, Mines are definitely not as serious yeah. as yours as I well. So, Get the
0: serious ones out.
1: So it's well documented that um, Chivas, um, that the, was it, the GMB and the Unite unions are threatening to go on strike because of a pay increase freeze to Scottish workers, but not to their French workers. Right, okay. The, the French workers got their pay increase and stuff. and
0: French s- workers seem a bit more kind of militant, almost, a bit more. Well, like if
1: you, well if, yeah, especially nowadays, if you're going to be scared of imminent strike action, who's more likely to do it?
0: And I know it's stereotypical to
1: say, but the French would be out in. Yeah, they're very good at it. They're as very well. good. They know how um, to strike. Yeah. Um, so they, uh, very, very briefly and probably wrong, they gave pay increases that were promised to the, the workers in France, then they froze the workers' pay increase in Scotland, but paid out, or were paying out, openly admitted to be paying the bonuses of the, the upper echelons of the company, within Scotland as well. Right. So then people weren't happy, and then it sort of, it got close to being a strike, and then it sort of came back a bit. The So the GMB workers at Shiva's Brothers sites in Scotland have implemented a ban on any overtime in response to the company's pay-free offer, so now... There's no overtime being done at Chivas, and there's there's a strike that's which has a huge effect mm. from the distillers to the to the people that are within Chivas's own distribution teams and getting the. So,
0: so is this not localized to say even just like bottling hall staff or distillers, or is it just any any United GMB uni, 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 member uh, seems uni, to be. Right.
1: But that that's you, you, it's you, interesting the see and it affects a lot of people and hopefully they get the pay increase that they obviously deserve because I'm pretty sure Shivas' um, profits have went up. Um, so this, this quite, is quite big for the industry.
0: This is, a, this is a pay rise that they've been promised?
1: Well, they were promised it and they froze it. They froze they've, it. They've said, oh, the pandemic, which is fine. But to also then give a pay increase that you promised to work to other workers, mm. Not, doesn't really matter that they're French, um, to other workers, it's probably what's... Got everybody's back up about it,
0: and the bosses have been given
1: their bonuses. Ah, they've quite openly admitted that we were given the bonuses out anyway. A tale as old as time.
0: Anyway, we'll Mo- move on. Moving on to the less serious. business so, uh, uh, we've we've had a week and a break from recording podcasts, not due to anybody's fault. Yep. life is beginning to get back to normal. People are away for work. People have other commitments. Weddings are now coming up. Stag do's those types of things. Yep. But something interesting that happened maybe two weeks ago now was uh, Broda, the famous Broda. Yeah. Uh, way up in, um next to Klein Leash. What part of the world is that? That's the Su- Sutherland, isn't it? Sutherland, yeah. Uh, Broda filled its first cask for 38 years. Ah, oh, it's very good. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I kind of. Uh, I think a lot of whiskeys get described as a kind of cult following, but I think. Brora definitely does have that kind of cult following, mm-hmm. has yeah. that kind of exclusivity that people like, has a price tag to go along with it. Yep. I wonder what price they're... I don't know if they'll bottle like it three years old, maybe even, say say they wait 10 years, I yeah. wonder if their 10-year-old will be a reasonable 10-year-old price, say £50, £60 pounds Aye. inflation in 10 years, yeah. say £60 pound for a 10-year-old, or do you think it will be matching the can kn- knee in first inaugural bottle in price range of 45k or whatever it was it's
1: an odd one because who is it that owns Broda's Diageo, isn't it yeah I yeah. think so yeah, oh, can be... I see them being reasonable with pricing of their bottles uh, no Um I think and also what I think will be very interesting to see the price of is if you have a bottle of Broda it's already worth quite a lot of money when they start releasing the new spirit for Broda which they'll claim is the exact same but chances are it'll be different mm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much your bottle goes for then because some people with the money will want to compare what the new broader is like to the old And So if you're holding on to a bottle of Brora and thinking, oh, I might sell this, I would wait till there's a Broder released from the new broader dist- or the revamped, reopened broader distillery. Same with Rosebank. Any, any distillery that's been closed and is now opening, if you have a bottle of the closed one, hold on to it until it starts releasing whiskey again. I
0: definitely also think there's also... Um romanticism and kind of the old brora yeah so you'll have that as you say that comparison but people who have tried the old brora will always tell the person who's not tried old brora well, but the, the old brora was amazing it was Aye. the best thing ever and i think it'll be it will be hyped up even more
1: i know we sort of maybe covered this in the clean leash podcast and i think we definitely did and correct me I'm wrong but is the old brora not the old Kleinleash leash as well oh it was or cool. the
0: first clean leash it was confusing then. Aye, aye. Aye. Uh so this
1: is like the fifth reincarnation of this distillery or some sort?
0: What would really confuse it if they changed the new its name to Kleinleash? Kleinleash A and Kleinleash P let's go for that. In other way. news. Uh some good news for the whiskey uh, industry. Most of Scotland uh, tier system, the Covid tier system moved to tier two potentially mm-hmm. some of it even tier one some of the islands yeah tier yeah, one Yeah, tier one. so this meant that distilleries were able to open their doors again to yeah. visitors tours tastings uh this isn't really news as in headline news as such but this was just a good thing to see yeah. we're in glasgow we are not uh, experiencing this good news you know. but it's good to see uh distilleries i'm seeing a lot of distilleries online saying they're opening the doors to consumers again of course all socially distanced and everything all regulations followed and stuff like that but it's just great to see and hopefully soon uh, we can get some normality, and some people's normality is visiting distilleries in their yeah, spare yeah, time, yeah, of course. Yeah, very much so, yeah. In other news as well, I really like this one. Uh, Grants, do you know how they've got their big kind of grain distillery, a lot of their warehouses down uh, at Garvin. Yep, yep. They have a new employee, and it's a cocker spaniel sniffer uh-huh. dog called Rocco. Yes, uh-huh. they've employed a dog that will sniff out imperfections in wood so the whiskey isn't filled into bad Casks before that, they just had a person, a cooper, smelling it. But presumably, well, not presumably, a dog has so they've punted him off, they've They've sacked him, and now employed employed a dog, uh, yeah, a sniffer dog called Rocco. But Rocco underwent six months and extensive training with a dog expert in the Pembroke Shire in Wales, yeah. So, this is a very, very good doggo. It brightens up the office. But it's, I've uh, read an article on it, it's to be kind of. And uh, made sure that, that everybody knows that this is a working dog. It's not a dog. Lounges around all day. Aye. and sniffing casks. But I'm sure it gets a wee treat once in a while. Have you, have you any idea who Rocco reports to? Who's uh, Rocco's direct line manager?
1: Oh, I've got no idea. There's so much I hate about this. It's
0: uh, uh, Grant's global brand manager, Chris Woof. Yes, you could not make it up. That's his actual name. I uh, hate everything.
1: I, there, apart from this dog being a good dog.
0: It's a good doggo.
1: Uh I dislike the most of this. It's absolute shite. <laughs> like, honest to God, they've taken six months to train a dog to smell whiskey purely for a marketing thing. That's all it is. They're not trusting that. There's no way they're trusting this dog. Well, you trust dogs to sniff out drugs at an airport. Yeah. Well, they then open the bag and make sure the drugs are there. What would be the? What's the?
0: The pit. The... I'm sure they then open the cask or sniff the cask and go.
1: Surely they'd be doing that anyway.
0: Aye, but I think the What's speed. The, I think the speed of the dog is is the is the thing here. It can pass a line of casks and this smell is, it from this the is outside. A, animal is, we animal, Jimmy, animal we Jimmy the cookware can't do- smell it from the outside. This I mean, dog he's good.
1: Should be running about the park with a ball, not bothering its arse about working in a distillery.
0: But if it finds a a bad cask, it gets a lot of good boys and it gets a treat. This is, this Look, it's a nice-looking doggo. Absolute. It's a nice-looking doggo. Yeah, uh, I'll I'd, move on uh, to some kind of personal news, as in personal as in podcast-related news. Yeah. Um, we've smashed well over a 1,000 followers on Instagram. I think it's about 1,200 now. So thanks to everybody that follows We hope you enjoy... We'll not getting a follow off that dog now, though. No. It'll have its own Instagram it account. It probably does have its own Instagram account. And also, we're not on uh, YouTube as I speak right now, but by the time the podcast is released we should have a presence on YouTube, obviously the podcasts we've recorded so far uh, have not been recorded as in video, but they will be put up in a kind of audio format, so if you prefer, kind of listen to stuff on YouTube, and watch this space is all I'll say in regards to kind of video, podcasts, or interviews in the not so distant future.
1: We're getting Rocco on, aren't we? Doug's going to sit there and tell us how it
0: does its job. Rocco's on Zoom next Ah, week. Right,
1: should be sniffing arses, not casks.
0: Back to the whiskey.
1: <laughs> so, Glen Kinchy, where do we start? We'll start at the beginning. Right back to the start. Right back to the start. So, Glen Kinchy, John and George Rate, the Rate brothers, um, founded Milton Distillery in 1825. And that's sort of the... F- nearest point that they've got that a distilling started happening in and around where Glen Kinchey is today it wasn't until 1837 that the Rape brothers built a more substantial distillery nearby called Glen Kinchy that name Glen Kinchy is quite a strange one for the area but what he said is the name comes from D. Quincy which is a, a family that owned the the land that Glen Kinchy was built on and then
0: Quincy Kinchy
1: sort of came from there
0: yeah, I always thought it would have probably been named after the River Kinchy. I don't know if the River Kinchy is a thing, but I just guess. I've got no idea
1: if River Kinchy is a thing, but the Glen Kinchy Distillery was built on the land of De Quincey, the estate. And it actually, if people might be, oh, De Quincey, that sounds quite familiar. It's because it is familiar. Thomas De Quincey is a descendant of the Quincy family that owned that estate, and he wrote the book Confessions of an English Opium Eater.
0: Wow. Yeah, it was an
1: autobiographical autobiographical account written by himself, obviously, about his addiction to opium.
0: In what year was that
1: released? That was released in eighteen twenty-one. So four years before the. Four years before Milton Distillery was built, he was he was writing about how he was addicted to opium. Oh. Probably to, where Glen Country. To, uh, to on the, the broom, as, uh, as, as I to, would say. <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> as you would say. Um, so that's the little. Well, that's where sort of. Kinchy comes from, it comes from the, I make off the name of the estate that it was built on. So then, Glen Kinchy, it started in 1837 when the, the Wright brothers finally got their, their license. Um, as many distilleries did right at the beginning of their careers, went absolutely bankrupt in 1853. The distilleries is enclosed and converted into a sawmill in 1853. From that, in 1881, So it's still a relatively short period of time from opening and then um, closing and and reopening again. Uh, A collector of Edinburgh-based investors led by Major James Gray reopens the site. I didn't look that much into Major James Gray. Couldn't be bothered.
0: Um, The kind of major at the start of the name. Put me off.
1: And there's probably loads of majors called James Gray. It's a fairly boring name. Uh, In 1890, the site is refurbished and expanded. And then it was in 1914 that Glen Kinchy forms part of the Scottish malt distillers combining with other lowland distilleries.
0: So that was during a time of... Was that economic downturn or was that a, a, a raise in taxes? Well, which,
1: 1914 would have just... Been, yeah, but basically... The start of the second, first world war?
0: Yeah, yeah. So they would, they would have formed basically to kind of ride out together during the hard times. Yes. Uh, and try and kind of weather the storm is probably the correct term I'm yeah. looking for. So then it was in 1925 that most of,
1: it's roughly around this time, isn't it, with these small groups of distilleries, the, what's it, SMD, Scottish, Scottish Malt Distillers, merges with DCL. Okay, so it merges with Diageo, really, in uh, 1925. Um, and then getting further down this timeline, Glenkinchie uh four maltings is decommissioned and turned into a museum f- the following year. That was in 1968, so in 1969 m- the museum opened at the distillery. Um... Just, I, I, I do understand the, the the sort of process of not doing your own maltings, but to decommission your floor maltings to turn it into a museum where you probably tell people that you used to do your floor maltings here. It was quite just quite daft. In
0: what year was this? That was in nineteen sixty eight. Seems like quite an early time to have like a museum on. Was it a museum on whiskey museum? Just says museum. Oh, for right, the information
1: cool. that I found, it was just museum, but I would presume that was a museum on the distillery or a museum on whiskey itself.
0: Mm. I suppose when you think back to 1968, and I know it's not that long ago for some of our listeners, you are maybe young, for a person that was born in the 1990s, yeah. it feels like feels quite strange for a museum to be around in 1968, because I would almost go to a museum to find out about what people were doing in 1968. 1968. I suppose people
1: the a museum in 1968, they would have found out what people in 1930 were doing.
0: Probably, yeah. yeah.
1: Going off of that logic Uh. you provided there But then nothing really happened Everything was black and white So what did they do? Arrived on their penny farthing. It wasn't until 1998 that Glen itself Was bottled as a single malt And that was for Diageo's classic malt selection This is where they claim that there's four corners of Scotland Isn't it?
0: Yeah (laughs) uh, The the thing about Diageo's websites When you go to look at Glen Or something like that You're directed to this ridiculous Malts.com or something Aye, hold, like that? A holding page where you could visit any of their other distilleries. Why do they do that? I think they they must have thought that was a good idea, but it's definitely not. It's always
1: to me, Diageo is obviously the one we're speaking about just now,
0: but sometimes
1: I think, see with these massive,
0: massive companies,
1: it's like there is no other Scottish whiskey distillery. Aye. It's like when you when Diageo put their regions, they miss out, I know this is a bugbear of mine, it might be one of yours, but they miss out Campbelltown. But they miss out Campbelltown because they don't own any distilleries in Campbelltown. So therefore Campbelltown doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's like if Diageo didn't own any distilleries in on Isla, Isla wouldn't be a region either. Mm. They would it would be forgotten about because well it's not one of ours so it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um so that's the classic malt selection. That's our view on
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Their website's terrible. Oh right. the website is shocking, yeah. Based on like kind of just being a consumer looking at a website, like yeah. it's a horrible website. I actually
1: looked into it when we were when the oh, whole of Scotland was still in tier th- four
0: tier, f- tier four restrictions
1: or they were in the lockdown after the new year and it, they released the dates of when places would start allowed to be open in certain tiers and when we would be moving in mm-hmm. i thought i wonder i'll look and see what distilleries have updated of when they're opening and or when their tours will start yeah. you could still go on to that diageo page and pay for a tour in tier four and oh, when really? lockdown, down aye for dates that were still in tier four and in lockdown so it's not a very good website and they don't seem to update it lately or they might have done now, but I, I could go all the way to paying and I was obviously not going to pay for it. But I thought the fact I was able to enter my card details for a tour, I definitely
0: knew was not happening. Like overall industry-wide, distillery websites are pretty much not very good, are they? Like, you, There's not no. not too many distillery websites you can actually order bottles from, which makes... Mix- Complete sense, but I mean, the way a lot of distilleries work is they have their they have their accounts with whiskey shops and all that. It's maybe website sales aren't the fuck aren't maybe the the biggest sales. It's
1: less, I, I guess, a, a distillery's website, and this is not including that Diageo one because it's terrible. But I say like an independent distillery, mm. um, their website is like a I guess it's information regarding the brand, the product, uh, whatever, and the actual distillery itself, the tours they offer, everything they do to get there, blah blah blah, contact information if you're if you need help getting there or whatever. Mm. It's less shop-based because we would actually quite like you to come to the distillery. Uh, it's,
0: get, it's getting the it's getting the consumer, the punter, to the distillery where they'll do a tour for, what, 10 quid or maybe do the premium tour for 25 quid. They'll buy a bottle. Speaking they'll of m- tours, sorry to butt in there, did you
1: see the price of the tours at your new Brora distillery? Oh, how much? Oh, they were extortionate. I think they were only offering like the best premium tours they uh. could absolutely offer. And they well over what you would normally pay, what fifty pounds? Oh, I know. Keep going, double it. Really, a hundred pounds? That's something I've seen, or maybe I might, I might have misread it. If I'm over exaggerating, but from what I've seen, they were often ridiculously priced tours for a distillery that people would like to go and see.
0: Yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. I guess they'll kind of. Uh, I guess they'll kind of make it out to be better than it is because you'll do a tour with some someday of some importance I guess if you get a distillery manager tour but even at that 100 pounds you know what I mean it, 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 that would make sense if it's a really good tasting and also you get a really really good kind of history tour you know what I mean like the local area the whiskey uh, the story of both kind of Klein Leash and Brora but again I mean we spoke about that we we're giving it away for none yeah. Uh and that was only a few podcasts ago. I would be intrigued to go up to Bora to see what it's like. I don't believe the hype. I have tried Broda. It was alright, but I feel like we've We've rambled on quite a long time and
1: not spoken, and not tasted the whiskey that we're
0: Yeah, so as you kinda knows that whiskey, yeah. I guess I'll give you a few kinda Facts or kind is of a wee they? bit of history I I liked about Glencanish. Yep. Uh, I like how you summarise the history. I usually leave it to yourself, but more contemporary, more in kind of two thousand and twenty one, or I pre pandemic, I suppose. Yep. Uh, Glencanish, of course, is just on the outside of uh, outskirts of Edinburgh, uh, so it's a very popular tourist attraction. It's boasting, I think, in twenty nineteen was forty thousand uh, visitors a year. Right. Okay. Which. I've been to Glengoyne Distillery. Mm-hmm. I think they get double that. I think they get 80,000. I think Clydeside Distillery, down yeah next to the Clyde in Glasgow, I think they get about 60,000
1: um, visitors. A really interesting one is Aran Distillers. They, this is pre the opening of Lochranza. their numbers have probably went up quite a lot since then, outside of the pandemic. But they get, I think it was something they were saying, well over 100,000 visitors a year. Right. Um which, for an island, I suppose it's the only distillery in the island, so if you're interested in whiskey at all, but it's a, it's quite remarkable how many uh, tourists they get as well.
0: So, they're there with their 40,000 uh, visitors, which may not be as good as Arran or Clayside or Glengoyne, but Diageo over kind of recent years have really been focusing. Uh, on kind of upgrading their visitor experience, you mentioned the four corners of Scotch whisky distilling. So they've uh, committed to upgrading their visitor experience at Leash, uh, Cardew, Kalila and Glenkinche, Of course, the whisky we are trying today and they're calling these uh, their brand homes. Do you think the bosses of Diageo wish they had a Lowland distillery beginning with the letter C? They've got Leash, they've got Cardew, they've got Kalila. Now they've got Clenkinshy, it doesn't quite fit the bill. But, oh, they do. They do have a distillery that starts with C. Cameron Bridge Grain Distillery, uh, near Leven in Fife, uh, which isn't quite the tourist attraction that uh, any malt distillery is. Probably mm. wouldn't attract too many. It's a bit more like a kind of chemical production plant. Yeah. Interesting fact about Cameron Bridge Distillery, they produce 110 million litres a year. Compared to Glen Kinshe, who produce, I think capacity is 2.5 million, but they actually produce around 2 million litres a year. Incredible amount. Uh, so they're upgrading their visitor centre along with the uh, creation of their Johnny Walker experience uh, yeah. on on Princes Street uh, in Edinburgh, which were scheduled to be completed by last, kind of mid last year, and yeah. they're probably definitely completed by now. One more fact about Glen Kinshe Distillery before we actually move on to tasting it. Uh, is in two thousand and seven the first ever bartenders lawn bowls championship is held in front of the distillery, as there used to be a bowling green uh, for lawn bowls out in front of the distillery. Uh, you ever played a bit of bowls? I have actually. I've never. Have I've you?
1: only ever played indoor bowls though. I've never. I've never. I've never taken up outdoor bowls.
0: Ah, see, my experience with bowls is indoor as well. Uh, uh, me and a few friends used to go. Uh, a few pals of school. I think we were only about fourteen. I can't remember if one of the boys' granders went or something. But we ended up in we ended up in this indoor bowls, um, which is not indoor bowls like it's on the telly. It's indoor bowls on like a fourteen foot long carpet. It's not. It's not too long. Um, soon after we went, you get paired. You get, every time you go, you pay your pound or whatever, and you get paired up with. Uh, it was a lot of elderly gentlemen, like proper elderly, like mm. proper <coughs> retired um so we get so you get get proper
1: retired none of that half-baked retired nah you know
0: i mean it wasn't just like an old six-year-old in the bowls it was like proper proper old men so we were we actually went met well some of them were really nice some of them were about like what you're doing here like this is old men but we quite enjoyed it uh me and like four pals um and when you turned up you paid like your pound and you get paired up with an old timer, pl- and you played a bit of bowls. Aye. But after like a couple of weeks, I think it was on like a Monday and a Thursday or something. Uh, after a couple of weeks, we all became quite good at it. Aye. So like every week, at least one of the young people were winning, Aye. along with one of the old timers. Oh, they been raging. They were raging. They were Aye. totally raging. Well, one week, somebody had uh, accidentally dragged uh, some dog muck. Oh no! Into the indoor bowls and in all over the carpet. Excellent, band. We were blamed for it, of but we, we actually we came to the conclusion that it wasn't any us because none of us had dog shit on our shoes. Uh, but one of us, one not me, but somebody else, had really kind of dirty trainers—not even dirty, just like old, tra- old they worn get, trainers. Blame, so man. we got told to leave swiftly and uh, not come back. So that was the end of my indoor bowls career. Um, Sabotage for one of the old boys Raging aye. that he's not winning Exactly Like You won like a bag of like Chocolate eclairs or something aye. Like not the pastry kind Like the sweetie kind Aye aye And uh, yeah it was, it was actually really good Really enjoyable Until we got banned I've Never been back Anyway I think we've rambled enough Do you want yes. to move on To the whiskey what, what are you thinking About the nose there
1: Right oh, I've actually Had a little uh, Had a little nose Had a little taste as well Okay When you were Speaking about bowls I'm actually pleasantly Surprised by this I thought 43% Glenkinsey, low wind, it'll be a bit meek, a bit meh, not a lot of doing. I mean, it doesn't say on the bottle that it's
0: no added colour or
1: non-chill filter, does it?
0: No, it doesn't mention any of that. You can probably safely assume that it has added colour. I think about the colour, it is like absolutely stunning colour. Like it's not... Deep dark red, which a lot of people associate with being beautiful whiskey. It's just a beautiful, vibrant colour. Mm. I kind of feel bad saying it because it's probably added colour that creates yeah. this kind of vibrant gold, uh, kind of rich barley gold kind of colour to it. But it is striking yeah. and it's a very impressive bottle. What, what it does say in the bottle is that it's um, the rolling hills around the, 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 the distillery at Glen Kinchey. Where some of the finest barley is grown. Now, why that winds me up a wee bit is because how much of the barley that's grown around Glenkinchie actually goes say directly to the distillery? Yeah. Nobody knows that. Like no like such a, very, such a, it's, it's, such a it's, it's bullshit thing oh, to put so on. Vague. We it's we so have vague. such great barley grown around us. Aye, but if, if none of that barley is actually used in your whisky making, um, why do you even why do you even mention it? Yeah we have some of the finest fishing fleets. So, well, that's got nothing to do with the selling, so why are you even on about it?
1: Uh but it's 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 like a throwaway comment that's actually ended up on the ball. But you could say that about anything. Aye. Like, some of the finest. Every distillery has the best water source. <laughs> like, everybody does. Aye. It's, Aye. It's, or we have some of the best water. It's just one of those things that people say. It's sort of pointless to say, but I guess people feel the need to say it. But it's on the nose. I guess it's a lowland, it's it's light, it's floral, it's quite herbal as well. Herb- herbaceous. Mm. Very, very creamy. Popcorn, marzipan, really quite buttery as well. A lot of apples in there. It's like green apples, toffied green apples. Sweet, but that sort of taramac caramelness to it as well. Honey honeycomb, that sort of th- I, th- I actually really liked the nose. I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, it had more of a nose to it than I thought it would. What, about you? what, what Yeah, you so,
0: sometimes with Lowland whiskies, I think they almost get a kind of bad rep. I think a lot of people base it off Ockintoshin, basically. It's a mm-hmm. kind of flagship Lowland whiskey. There wasn't too many. You had uh, Gunkinshi, you had Ockintoshin, you had Bladnock. Uh, yep. down in uh, Wigtonshire, is it? Down kind of the birthplace of Robbie Burns, that type of area. Yep. Now you've got a lot of Lowland distilleries. And you've got some around Glasgow. You've got some kind of Annandale. I think you've got a few dotted around the kind of the borders. You've got Girvan, who are now producing uh, Lowland single malt. it's a peated one. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different Lowland whiskies now. The style that everybody associates with Lowland is... Almost like triple distilled or something, like that. and that's because of Auchentoshan. But I've I've been nosing this, as you were kind of speaking them, um, and I like, probably uh, agree with you. Uh, it's quite impressive. I yeah. guess that
1: when you were speaking about lowland distilleries, there and the ones that are are sort of left and the new ones and stuff, there's some great or there's some great names of lowland distilleries that are no longer. Operating or will be operating in the future. You're speaking when we're speaking about the SMD Scots, Scottish Scottish yep. malt distillers. Yeah, Rosebank, Saint Magdalene were a part of that group as well, and those are two yeah lowland distilleries. Massive names. They carry carry a bit of weight behind them. And then one I've I never actually heard of Grange. Never heard of it. But then there's Clydesdale as well, which I have heard of, but couldn't tell you anything about Clydesdale.
0: Whereas Grange. Uh, that's no idea. I mean, that's what I'm saying. I've never Depends been so near but, Grangemouth, No, I don't
1: know. <laughs> it it could be. I can try and find it for you, but um, no idea. But as I say, there was so there is Lowland distilleries. they have got a big name behind, them. Mm. but obviously um, there's
0: also the powerhouses of Lowland Grain Distilling. Like Lowland, the area of the Lowlands was more associated with uh, industry, uh, big industrial distilleries. Burnt Island, Fife. That's where Grange was. Right,
1: okay, cool. So,
0: I mean, just along the
1: f- Fife Coast, I guess, um, Yeah, Um from I, Grangemouth, but
0: yeah. I, that's cool, I never knew there was a distillery there, but um that's very interesting. Uh On the nose for me, on this whiskey, <laughs> as I tried to get out two minutes ago, but I'll forgive you. Sweet kind of citrus notes, a great amount of depth to it. Yeah. I wasn't expecting it to be this nice, to be honest. There's a lovely freshness to it. I think you kind of mentioned herbs. I think a kind of fresh kind of mint. Honey, you might have mentioned. It's got a wee touch of nuttiness. Almonds. And a slight sweet kind of barley flavour. On the palate, I'm thinking that citrusy kind of flavours still coming through. Kind of lemon drops. A ripe, um, kind of like a juicy pear. Or a really juicy kind of green apple. You're getting a lovely spiciness to it. I'm not quite sure if it's an oak spiciness. This isn't an overly oak whiskey. I don't think. No, it's not like a. I often think
1: when you speak about spiciness, coming from an oak or, mm. um, say a virgin oak cask or whatever. It's almost like quite like a, a cayenne pepper, a very sort of sharp hot pepper. Mm. Um, but it's not. It's it's a nice sort of gentle spiciness.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a gentle spice. I'm kind of thinking I want to describe it as kind of mild chilli. Do you know when you do you know when you have a dish in it that's not necessarily like when you get a kind of. Pasta dish say. Yeah. And you know there's chili in there and you can taste it and you're like, oh I at least want a, I want just well wee nip of chili. Aye. It's kinda like that. This tastes it's, nothing it's like it's got the, the chili vegetable but not the chili
1: seeds which actually give the spice.
0: Ah it's got that It's got that kind of wee nip th- but it's Wee not, nip of spice. Aye. It doesn't taste anything like a penny or anything like that. I just mean it's just a slight wee thing coming through. I think we overuse a cracked black pepper. I don't think it is cracked black pepper. I think it's just a wee mild spice coming through. Really quite enjoyable. Melted butter, lovely bit of vanilla. Uh, what are you getting on the
1: in the palate? I, I felt that it, it it went away from that herbaceous note that I was getting through, and it it started becoming really really fruity. Um, but sort of like cheesecake, lemon cake, real freshness to it. Not not a young freshness, but a real sort of easy, enjoyable, approachable sort of. Oh, I could I could actually sit and drink this
0: all, all night. It's a bit of a session whiskey, I'd say. Uh, there's definitely not an like, an alcohol flavour to it. No, is it? It's forty three percent, but it is really kind of well balanced. Um, um, it's if I put down milk. Remember the wee milk
1: bottle sweets you used to get? Aye kind of creamy. really moorish yeah. yeah the sort of marshmallow as well right. It's has got this very sort of moorish um, creaminess but like a fruity juiciness to it as well um, I thought I as you said for the nose but I think you might have said on the palate nutty almondy hazelnuts um, orange peel real sort of juicy sort of uh, it's actually very very good <laughs> which I wasn't
0: overly confident of it being very very good or very very enjoyable my My expectations weren't like very high for this yeah. whiskey it's not i'm not saying it's blowing my socks off or anything but i was quite compared i was quite prepared sorry for it being kind of a damp squib almost i suppose what you're looking at and what diageo are trying to do I, I,
1: We've bashed them a wee bit on their website and other things before but what they're really trying to do is i guess the way we're describing this whiskey is what they're wanting to produce very easy drinking, enjoyable. One that, do you know what? If I walked into a bar and it had the only this was the only whiskey they had, I wouldn't be disappointed ordering this. Mm-hmm. There are, yes, there are better whiskies, but very approachable, very nice. Um, I mean, you bought this. I don't know how much
0: you bought it for, but oh you, yeah, I, mean, I meant to mention that earlier on before uh, we went on to the beers. It was around forty quid. I think it was forty one quid. Uh, quid it was from hidden drams beer wine and spirits yeah um shop which is just near kind of botanic gardens in glasgow yeah uh, cracking lads that works there we had a great chat about whiskey and the, the, i've been in a few times but i've just bought beer yeah the selection they've got there they've actually got some really kind of older and unique stuff they've and- got a bottle of that can you mind that black do Oh it yeah, yeah, yeah. was just totally full of like fake colour and yeah. it was actually meant to be horrible, and they recommended you mix it with like coke or something. Yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they've got a bottle of that, and I was I've not seen that since I worked in a whiskey shop like many years ago. I uh, think somebody came in and bought like the last six bottles, and we're like, "Yes, take it, because nobody's buying it. it." I've been in before as well, and it it it's
1: a shop that's probably known more for its beers that it offers. Despite being offered uh, being called Hidden Drums, Mm. which is exactly how you've described it there. It it fits its name perfectly. But it seems like the beers overshadow the whiskies that they've got there, and the people, the clientele that go in obviously focus on the beers. But some of the whiskies they do, they do have a really good range.
0: It's one of those kind of beer, wine, and spirit shops that's got like every single inch. Of the walls and the centre aisles floating, floating and everything ceiling, is covered, like totally coated in beers, wines and spirits. It gets to the stage where if you don't actually have a proper look, you even see the wood for the trees. Aye. So it's like, they've had some good campbell towns in there. He was telling me they get the Springbank 12-year-old cash rent, which is kind of hard to find anywhere, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I was actually real impressed and, you know... Sometimes when you go buy a bottle of whiskey and I was just out to walk myself around kind of different whiskey shops in my local area, sometimes, this is going to sound like I'm a lonely man, but sometimes you just want a wee chat about whiskey. Like, you just want to have a wee discussion especially with when somebody you, who's new, somebody who's fresh, and you, like, yeah, it was just a good experience. But
1: especially when you're you're about to buy a bottle that you've never tried before. Exactly. like Like what we tend to do for the podcast is we buy bottles that we've never tried before.
0: Ah, it's totally fresh on us.
1: So you would like... Even although we do enjoy the fact that, like I said before the podcast, I can't remember really trying any Glen Country before, and you've only ever tried it in independent bottlings.
0: Yeah, kind of older independent
1: bottles, Since like late nev- teens. Yeah. I was very impressed with them. But to never try an official bottling, you want to be able to speak to the person and be like, well, well what's it like? Aye. And for them to have a rough idea, I mean, you don't expect somebody to work in a whiskey shop to have tasted everything that they sell, but you'd at least want to have a rough idea. And I mean, if Hidden Drams are offering that, then... It's the place to go.
0: Decent price as well. There were sometimes kind of local spirit shops, a wee bit inflated pricing, you can understand that. They are a local spirit shop. They're maybe buying three bottles, and at the time they don't have the economies of scale yeah. that you get at a, a supermarket yeah, or whatever. Yeah. So they were the only one nearby that had it, and they were the last one I was getting to. So hidden drams, I, I will be back. It was a very enjoyable experience.
1: And then when we're speaking just quickly about um, where we bought... um the dram we bought the beer and i brought it along it's actually from redmond's of denniston so you you're a west end person i'm more an east end person redmond's uh, is
0: formerly of the east end
1: formerly of the east end redmond's is one of these unlucky pubs that um was prepared to open what a couple of weeks ago um and then on the friday basically as everybody get told no pubs in glasgow aren't open and they're unlucky that they don't have any outdoor seating Mm. Um, so they've only been doing bottle sales and um, sort of take away food for quite a long period of time uh, and I live quite close to them so I always try and pop around and, and buy some beers and
0: that's where we got these beers from You just opened a second one there Yeah what I opened, opened the second one, we've kind of rambled on a lot I've finished my Yes Sir I Can Boogie and I'm moving on to um, Do you feel like you can now? Is, oh, it, I, is I, it giving you that ability? Um, maybe not yet but I think after this next beer I probably uh, will have snake hips. Snake hips. As they say. Like
1: Andy Considine himself.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I'm a fan of karaoke as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, back when we're allowed to do that, yeah. I'll uh, I'll be up there singing uh, maybe a wee bit of Candy by Paolo Nutini. That's one of my favourite that's ones.
1: One your, that's your go-to.
0: What beer have you got there?
1: So, I have got a double dry hopped pale ale from Partizan Brewery. It's called DD. It was um named after their cat. Not a cat that they put to work, by the way.
0: Every cat's a mouser.
1: Aye. But they're not trained. That's natural born instinct and they're probably for a house that's quite nearby. They're not this manufactured animal brought in to to do someone's job for them. Unpaid labour, that's Some what I dogs that is.
0: are just happiest when they're working.
1: Right, and and get them doing, get them doing something, something rounding the sheep, sniffing, sniffing do- uh, bags at. Uh, <laughs> sniffing what? <laughs> <laughs> sniffing bags at airports. You know. Well, CD that's stuff. what they were born to do. That's what they were. No, well, I'm not saying that's As what they were born w- to do. All I'm saying is that. When that man, man domesticated, right, come on, come on, boy. come on,
0: right. When when man domesticated dogs, it was really, really just to sniff out a bag of weed or something at, a, at an airport, was it?
1: No, I'm not saying that. It
0: ah. was probably for fighting. It was probably for protection. Aye, aye. It was for hunting. Aye. Sniffing a few barrels. Sniffing a few bungholes uh, <laughs> would be the correct terminology for it's the hole that's in a barrel.
1: See, if there was a point in doing it, it would have been plastered in every social media uh, website or anything like that. It would just be, aye, this dog does this. That's his job. Let I'm going with it.
0: You don't really don't like Rocco, do you? It's
1: not Rocco. I've not got no issue with the dog. He's been exploited for his, for his ability.
0: And underpaid. I bet he's not paid a dime. I bet he's like, act- what beer have you got? Right, okay. Thank God for that. Uh, so I've got a porter. Uh, it's called One Ton Camp. It's from Howling Hops, which is either in Hackney or it's in Wick. I'm unsure, uh, because... It's it? it's in, it's in Hackney Wick, London. That's what's confusing me because ah. Wick's obviously up on the kind of northernmost coast of Scotland, and Hackney is a place in London. So it's in Hackney Wick, London. It's a porter. It's called One Ton Camp. It's 5.5%. percent. <coughs> I'm gonna take a wee sip of it, and it's very nice. You know Before we move on to the finish of uh, the Glenkinchie twelve year old, I just kind of want to go through. The kind of equipment they have yes, on absolutely. site, something that excites me. I know a lot of listeners because I've been told uh, either through kind of online interactions on Instagram or some of our listeners, mm-hmm. uh, they stop me in the street almost. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know them personally and listen, yeah. but they say they listen for the history. So I always give you that wee bit, the wee history. I think you're quite good at putting it out there. Anyway, so the equipment. It's mostly because I know nothing about the equipment. That's that is more your uh, expertise. Well, you could say that. So they've got a nine ton full outer mash tun. So nine ton is, is pretty big. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got a big operation there. That's pretty big. I'd be intrigued to see it. Full outer mash tun, quite impressive. But it's a new bit of kit. It's not an old fashioned bit of kit. So
1: explain to me, you have semi outer mash tons yeah. and you have
0: full outer mash tons. Yeah.
1: What's, it, what's the... What makes it semi? What makes it full? What's the difference?
0: So semi louder mash tons. and you know i probably might get this wrong but i'm going to give it a bash your understanding of it my understanding a semi louder mash tun has rakes that can move in a clockwise or an anti-clockwise direction mm-hmm. just using a motor a full louder mash ton has the capabilities to adjust the height of the rakes right okay. so they can move the rakes up and down through the mash just more control yeah so that's why a semi louder mash tun has the name semi because it can't do as much as the full. So it has rakes. Yep. They both have rakes, but a full outer mash tun can adjust the height of the rakes. Right, okay. More control over the mash. Uh, but you usually see it on uh, bigger rigs, as I would say. Bigger rigs. Like, like it's a lorry. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <I don't>... <laughs> <laughs> right, okay, carry on.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, so they've got uh, six wooden washbacks. I like the sound of that. That we like wooden washbacks. Yep. have got sixty six to one hundred and ten hour fermentation time. Again, good. That's yeah. It's, yeah. it's long. I Feeling. think. I think if you have like a prominent kind of visitor center, you can't just be doing the forty eight hour, hour fermentation we're time. We're punting us out at yeah. very you, you I'm not saying that's the only reason. It's probably tradition, but I'm just saying. I've never been to a distillery visitor center where they've been like, "Yeah, we just do forty eight hours. We do the minimum we can." Aye. Every distillery does. Long fermentation, really nice water. Anyway, sorry. I digress. To
1: be, to be fair, you you look at what Glenn Kinch is used for, and the majority of it goes into Johnny Walker. Which, as we discussed in a previous podcast, is probably one of the biggest brands mm-hmm. in alcohol, but in general brands in the world. Yeah. If all the spirit that uh, Diageo put punted into Johnny Walker was forty eight hours that's it fermentation. It'd be very weak, it'd be very uh, crap. Um but to have a hundred and ten hours going in or even sixty six
0: hours going in, it will give it more of a body if you were just constantly punting in forty eight hours fermentation. Right, and I think I think there's other things that I'll get onto the distiller equipment which again yeah. will show the character of the spirit and probably why it is quite good for Blending into the likes of Johnny Walker. So they've, they've mm-hmm. got two they've got two stills, which I was surprised about. So it's a sort of kind of massive, dist- well, massive in terms of production distillery. But they've only got two stills, a wash still and a spirit still. As I say, a bit surprising uh, because they do produce kind of two million litres of alcohol per year. Or that's how much they produced in 2019, the most recent kind of report that I've seen. And the reason that they're able to produce so much... Uh, alcohol volumes is due to the size of their stills basically right. so their wash stills uh, their wash still, sorry it's it's 21,000 litre charge, so they boast the biggest wash still in Scotland right, okay, not the biggest wash still in the world, I'm sure there's Irish pot stills that probably blow that out of the water, of course there's the most famous one at, uh, a Jameson distillery, kind of in Middleton, but I don't even think that's in use anymore. Uh, but yeah, twenty one thousand litre there'll wash. Be Ameri-
1: there'll be American uh, stills as well that will be massive. Yeah, but
0: they don't tend to have, they don't tend to have like the same style of kind of like wash the yeah. and stuff like that, you know. Whereas Irish stills tend to have the Just, similar, similar setup. Yeah. They also use worm tub condensers, right? Okay. Which uh, I'm a big fan of. You'll find worm tub condensers at Springbank, you'll find them at Mortlock, you'll find them at uh, several distilleries across Scotland, but they are few and far between. A fairly
1: th- traditional.
0: They're kind of an older style of condensers. Uh, they're basically a massive open-top barrel that is outside the distillery. And it can be filled with rainwater, but also they'll have running cold water in it. And it's really the less commonly used nowadays. I think out of all the distilleries in Scotland, there's only 16 distilleries still using the kind of more traditional warm tub uh, condenser. Uh, The warm tub condenser ensures uh, that condensing of vapour is very quick, which you think is good. Yeah. But this means actual less vapour contact with copper because inside this warm tub you have a copper pipe that Mm -hmm. runs down it, like a worm. Yeah. Which I think the worm's like the old uh, Scotch word for... uh, Sorry, Scots word for serpent or something like that. I can't quite remember the origins of that word, but, you know, it's a coil, copper coil, on a massive big open-top barrel of water, cold water pumping through it. Mm -hmm. So when there's loads of cold water pumping through that, it actually leads to quicker condensation, which means less contact with copper, which in theory... Uh, it leads to a kinda heavier and more sulfur, uh, flavoured spirit. Well, that's sort of, you
1: you might be just coming onto it, but that's sort of leads me to the point from the, the things I've read about Glenn um new make and what they do. I mean it's completely different from the final product, that's as it probably should be, but their new make can be quite uh vegetative and have sulphur notes in there. uh, Sort of like a struck match. Aye. And that's because of the
0: quick condensation. Aye, in in the warm tub, aye. The kind of example I would always go back to, if you look at Dalwini, which is what, just one of those distilleries you see travelling up the A9, is it? Yeah, if you're going
1: up the A9 on the average speed cameras, it'll set off, if you're heading north, it'll set off to the left-hand side. Beautiful beautiful looking distilleries. it looks really good, but
0: they had warm tubs they then removed them to go for the more contemporary mm-hmm. shell and tube condensers which you'll find that 90% yeah. of scotch whisky distilleries as i said there's only 16 distilleries in Scotland still using the worm tub condenser so they they removed their worm tubs went for the more contemporary shell and tube soon after they did that they realized that They weren't getting the same spirit quality. They weren't getting the same spirit profile and (laughs) flavour. So they quickly reinstated their worm tub condensers. I think if you're a new distillery starting up, you've got the choice of worm tub or uh, shell and tube. I think if you're an old distillery or an older, like in a uh, setting your ways, yeah. If you're a distillery that's created in 1825, I think it would be very hard to move from worm tub to spirit. uh, Sorry, shell and tube condenser. It's just a total different. It'd be really difficult to try and re- recreate. Yeah, I think I think what you can do is it is kind of counterintuitive. Is instead of having like cold water flowing through your warm uh, warm tub, you would actually put in slightly hotter water, right. which means the vapor wouldn't condense as easily. Right. Which means there would be more. Copper, copper contact corp, and it would remove and with that. the vapour. So you yeah. can actually put warmer water in so it takes longer for the vapour to condense. Yeah. More copper contact, more sulfur flavours, more vegetable flavours yeah. removed because of course the more copper contact, the with more impurities that yeah. are in this in the vapor yeah. uh is removed. But then
1: would that if say if, I know we're speaking completely in hypotheticals now, if Glen Kenshi were to do that, would that stop them being able to produce as much? because it takes slightly a bit longer to do to cuz you're saying when it goes through the the warm tub condenser if they had hotter water not hot water but warmer water going through I
0: don't think it, I, I don't think it would totally affect production uh, production level. time no. you know I mean I don't think that's really much of a factor right. when i say like the vapors condensed quicker I don't think that's like increasing the the rate of production uh, too much, you no. know, like because shell and tube condensers will be pretty efficient. But the thing is, there'll just be a lot more vapor to copper contact. Yeah. Uh, and that uh, I think I think the move to shell and tube obviously would just be for efficiencies, would be for consistency. But if your flavor is consistent with a worm tub condenser, then I guess you need to stick yeah. with it. Uh, and what what I actually think about it, Having those warm tub condensers, is, does it come across in the spirit? I think, from what I've tasted so far, the answer is no. <laughs> there isn't a lot of, kind of, sulphur, vegetable notes. There isn't a lot of imperfections or impurities. It's a very well-rounded, uh, balanced spirit. Yeah. And, But what I do think has maybe been affected by... Uh, the warm tub condenser is probably just the kind of mouthfeel mm-hmm. of the whiskey, the depth yeah. that it gives to the to the drinker, which is myself at this point. Yeah. It's really quite impressive. They're pro- as you were saying about the new make spirit, that probably does come through a lot of sulfur notes, a lot of vegetable notes. You're saying that's the character of it. That also makes me think, and it's proof in the pudding for the taste, there is an effective cask management system going on In a number of years. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. You've got lots of oxidation over those 12 years, which are oxidation of these impurities into some flavoursome congeners, such as your kind of esters. You've got good quality casks. I mean, I think the kind of immediate thing to assume with Diageo is that it's just bunged into anything. But this is a whisky that seems like there's a lot of planning going into. It's a whisky that's probably got extremely well-cared and traditional... Equipment, yeah, but put to very good use, a good cask management and producing a very good whiskey.
1: Yeah, I would. I was. I was going to say, but you. You moved on to it yourself. There is obviously a very good cask management system, as you said, going on here. It's you not know?
0: exactly cask influence, as in like big sherry cask influence. No, no, it's more. It's probably, and
1: that's could be completely false. But what I'm saying is it. Probably knows right. We get these sulphur notes, but we're trying to produce a spirit that doesn't have them. Now, certain distilleries will want those that sort of slight sulphur note in there because it fits with the casks that the spirit is going into, yeah. uh, or the whiskies that they release. But there, obviously, we don't need that. But this is the spirit we have. Let's let's play to its strengths. Let's play to its strengths, but let's use the right casks to limit that sulphur note. Keep the body but produce a very easily drinkable, approachable uh, uh, whiskey. And again, that will come down to the fact that it's going into Johnny Walker as well. Uh, It's going into a big, massive blend. It needs to be not neutral as a spirit, but it needs to have the right characteristics to be used in the blend, and it needs to be pretty much bang on. In a small vatting of casks, you can hide you can hide less in a mm. big vatting you can hide more obviously but a lot of them need to be right a lot of them need to be bang on and it's costs a lot of money to get it wrong mm. so a big company like that will be paying a lot of money
0: to make sure that this is right and I'm I'm very impressed with this whiskey and um, I just want to I've had another sip there and I just want to kind of get the kind of Finishing thoughts on, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, the finish. He said herbal earlier on. I agree with you. I do think it's very herbal. You're going to love the kind of basil coming in at the end. You're getting a very kind of aromatic uh, kind of flavour. I I dislike saying the word perfumey, but, you know, it's got got a wee bit of kind of spice, dried flowers. It's got a wee bit of everything. I can't quite pinpoint it. Um, it is a wee bit of a drying finish, not in a bad way, but it is medium yep. medium long. It's a very enjoyable whiskey, I think have you mentioned your finish on this? Hey, I've not yet. Uh, the finish I'm getting
1: it's a it's a good continuation. I think we I, I can only ever remember me saying this, but it's a good continuation throughout. It's not it's a surprise on the nose, I think, but that surprise continues throughout you a lot of fruits. the herbal notes I'm getting a lot of servo coming through. Um, but mint you suggested on the nose. I'm starting to get that on the on the finish
0: as well. What's serval?
1: Um, servo is essentially like French uh, parsley. It's well,
0: parsley isn't French enough. I uh, no no it's
1: not, it's not. It's not French enough for me. Um,
0: I've never heard of that. But uh, yeah, well,
1: educational it. podcast there. All right. Okay. Um, but a lot of floral notes that it loses that spiciness that we've got, I find, and becomes slightly more drying. Yeah. Um but a very a very, very nice finish as well and one that fits in with the dram that we tried, but is, again, as we've said many times, is 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 not what I was expecting. I would be expecting a forty three percent Diagio bottling. Planned. for the the Lowland the, the finish to be done uh. over. Nothing to think about. It's quite long. It's yeah. it's got a very nutty finish. Coats the mouth as well. It's got a sort of thick syrupiness about it. It
0: definitely does, and I think that comes from the worm tub condenser. This is, is what that you're kind uh, of quick right. condensing that uh, is taking place. And I think with t- a bit of time in the glass, it does develop a wee bit more as well, yep. uh, getting lovely, more more kind of herbal notes from it. But yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it so far. What's been your thoughts, kind of wee summary so far about the whiskey? Has it been something that's been uh, quite enjoyable? Really enjoyable and 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 something that
1: quite surprising as I've said uh, many times. But um, yeah, it's a, it's actually really quite nice for what I was expecting. I think other whiskies we've tried in the podcasts you've, we've expected a lot, but it's not not delivered. Where this is delivered and more for what we were expecting.
0: I think what I've quite enjoyed about this whiskey and this distillery and kind of maybe the history and the facts about it is that. You can't expect it to be quite a boring distillery, and I don't know if it's just because it is a lowland distillery outside Edinburgh. I mean, all, all things point to uh, boredom. Yeah. Uh, but this distillery is actually uh, situated very close to the battlefield of the Battle of Preston Pans. Ah, right, okay. 21st of September, 1745. Yeah. And it was the first major battle of the Jacobite Rising of Seventeen forty-five, or I think it's referred to as the forty-five. The forty-five. Yeah. In the time, because obviously there was a Jacobite rising in seventeen fifteen as well. I believe. I'm sure somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, this this battle obviously wasn't it wasn't the battle of Glencenty. Yeah. But just north of Glencenty, you've got a few towns. You've got Tranent. Yeah. You've got. Uh, Preston Pans, which is by the sea, just yeah. south of that you've got the town of Preston, I don't really, I think they're kind of amalgamated now, I don't think there's much distinction yeah. b- between them. In this battle you had the Jacobites forces led by uh, Charles Stuart, yeah, uh, also known as Bonnie Prince Charlie, yeah. of course. He wasn't fighting for the crown himself, he wasn't going to be king, it was his father, uh, but obviously he was the prince. They've so been Fre- French let him down. The French let him down. I suppose. I've never,
1: never forgiven them. Well,
0: they, they did did they not say that the French not promise a a, a a galleon of gold was coming over and then nothing appeared? Ne- never delivered? Yes. Well, we'll move on. Uh, so the the British forces or the Redcoats uh, were led by John Cope. Yep. Sir John Cope, but I think John Cope, uh, it's what he deserves, because <laughs> the battle was quite a short affair. Shot themselves, I think, is the. The accurate description of what the British did in this sort of stuff. Uh, kicked their bricks uh, as they would say. Uh, yeah, after a bit of careful kind of manoeuvring from the Jacobite forces, uh, they conducted the famous Highland Charge, yeah. which was basically just go mental, go uh, in, char- in charge at your opposition.
1: It took a long time for the British to suss this out and how how to counteract you this know, Highland
0: Charge. It did take it did take them a while. Uh, because when the Jacobite forces did the Highland charge, the rah and, yeah. the, and the sprint type thing, the 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 Redcoats they kicked their brakes, they shot themselves, they broke their lines, and the battle lasted thirty minutes. Yeah, this led to the kind of the, the Jacobites kind of invasion into Northern England and further south. Yeah. Uh, after that, obviously this was uh, in September, so they led a wee bit of invasion into the winter. Uh, They then decided to retreat uh, Mm, back to Scotland to kind of gather provisions, you know, uh, eat and stuff like that over winter. The next major battle was, of course, the Battle of Falkirk on the 17th of January, 1746, which was another kind of Jacobite route they won convincingly. Unfortunately, this wasn't too important in the overall uh, rebellion because uh, of course the Jacobite forces were defeated uh, in style. They were routed at the Battle of Culloden on the sixteenth of April, well, seventeen forty-six.
1: What I've read about it is that it was Culloden where the British figured out how to deal with the 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 charge. Yeah, and then and, 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 and then it ended. But the from what I've seen and what I've read previously about the President pans and such is that the British forces were so spread within um, battles in Europe and also dealing with the Jacobite Uprising that they had so many new Conscripts? Conscripts um conscript soldiers. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, they had so many green soldiers. Uh So I I think that I think the red coats had drafted then a battalion or a provision or something, whatever term you want to use, that were building a road uh, up the west side or something yeah. of Lomond and these people hadn't even really fired a rifle yet. Yeah. So, so they
1: they were really widespread and brought them in and that was. And then after Preston Pans, the British sort of turned around and went, We need to start. This is really they got, serious. We need to
0: bring guys back from fighting in Europe to actually deal with this. Right, actual uh, soldiers. Yeah. Also, uh, uh, Culloden, before the battle... Uh, Bonnie, Prince Charlie, was advised by his uh, generals, by his advisors, Mm. that to have a battle on Culloden Moor was the wrong decision, basically, because of the boggy terrain. It proved so. The previous successful Highland Charge was useless. Uh, The British forces destroyed the Jacobites, something that the Jacobites could never recover from. The bloody rebellion was over. The Jacobite forces obviously destroyed. Charles Stewart fled the country eventually after a few months on the run. Uh, and after that, the Brits enforced a period of revenge, uh, which might kind of coincide with uh, or relate to something we've spoke about before in the podcast. Uh, many Jacobite prisoners were shipped as slaves yep. uh, over to the Americas, the West Indies, and then it led to the Highland culture, I uh, spoke in, about this with Clan Leash. Yeah, and yeah. Scotland being banned in the north part of Scotland, uh, tartan was banned, uh, bagpipes were banned, and clan chiefs were stripped of their titles. And this this kind of this ultimately led to the Highland Clearances, which we've touched on before. Yep. Through yeah, through social economic changes enforced by the Redcoats by the British government. Yeah, uh, which basically led to the kind of decimation of. The Highland Way of Life. The Highland Way of Life, yeah, yeah definitely. And uh, if you want to hear more about the Highland Clearances, which we'll probably not get into today. No. Uh, we talked about it on our Kleinleash yeah, Toppermory f- podcast. Featured heavily on those podcasts. Ah, yeah. which, was, which was good fun. Are you ready for the Scotch Whiskey League? Ready for the, uh, another addition to the Scotch Whiskey League. Do you want me to run through it? Yeah, run through it. So we've now got 10 whiskies in our Scotch Whiskey League. We're yep. limiting this league to... Ten whiskies. Yeah. Uh, any whiskey that drops off the bottom, which in this case would be our big wee beastie, drops off forever. Yeah. Uh, we don't have a relegation battle. We don't have a league. No playoffs. We don't, no. a we don't have a championship. We don't have whatever you want to call it. We don't. We don't have a second league. We've only got the top Not league. Not yet. No. the most hotly contested league in Europe, in Scotland, in the world.
1: It's now the only. I think it's the only contested league
0: in Europe. Yeah, they've all stopped for summer. They've all stopped for summer. So first. Place you've got long roll red, yep, 12 year old Pinot Noir, uh, beautiful whiskey. Second, you've got Nignean single malt. Third, you have Glen Scotia open day bottling, 14 year old uh, port cask. Port cask, that's right, yeah. Uh, fourth, you've got the whiskeys, you've got the whiskey we tried last week, which is a Springbank local barley, 10 year old, the 2020 release, uh, predominantly Oloroso sherry matured, yep, or 100% Oloroso sherry.
1: We'll say predominantly. Predominantly.
0: Uh, In fifth place, we've got... uh, Fourth place is Bredren. You've got Springbank, 10-year-old, but the 2019 release. More predominantly bourbon. was more bourbon, uh, wasn't it? Uh, Sixth, you've got Leash, 14-year-old. Seventh, you've got Ben Nevis, 10-year-old. Eighth, you've got Boonhaven Stouradar. Ninth, Tobermory, 12-year-old. And Ardbeg, wee beastie. So, as I say, if Glenkinci makes the top 10, our big weeby state is a goner, which I actually are really sad about. I think it's yeah. a whiskey that's probably worthy of the other top 10, and I think that just says the strength of the whiskeys in terms of our fictitious top 10 has been really, really strong so I th- far. I think it also shows the, the style of whiskeys that we prefer, because
1: this is all based on our own perception and opinion of the whiskeys. I think the fact that something like the Ardbeg is... I would say, dropping out this top 10, where more people, I think the majority of whiskey drinkers would say the Ardbeg is a really, really great dram, which it is. Mm. I would probably put the (laughs) Glen in at 10. Right, okay. I like it. I I like it more than the Ardbeg. Um, Yeah, I would probably just put it in at 10... But I'd probably be convinced that it doesn't go in at all. But I don't know where you're sitting on it. Where are you sitting on it?
0: I'm thinking 8th. Uh, I'm thinking 8th. I uh, don't think it's as good as Ben Nevis. I think it's better than I'm uh, going having have Dyer. Yeah. I that think parts big. of it are better than a Tobermory 12. I think parts of the Tobermory 12 are better. Yeah. Uh, but I think I would put it below the Ben Nevis. I'd put it at 8th spot.
1: Yeah, actually, thinking about it. I do prefer it. It's a strange one because the, the, the Whiskey League is obviously set in stone. Um, yeah. I think I prefer it more than the Boonahavans to the
0: Yeah. But not as much as the Tobermory 12. Yeah, I know I would kind of agree with you there, but I think can't exactly remember why the reasons we put Boonahavans above Tober Tobermory. Mori, no. But I think they would have definitely been well thought out. At the uh, time, yeah. At the time, right, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to stick by what I would have formerly fought in the past even though I can't remember the exact reasons obviously uh, I'd say enjoy it more than the boon having. stood there so I therefore would, it goes above? I think it would go above
1: yeah I guess I was a slightly more pessimistic about the thought that I didn't like it as much as the Tobermory 12 so therefore it was going below the Tobermory 12
0: but enjoyed it more than the Arbeg 10 so it was going in there I don't know, yeah, I, I, th- I, th- I think for the next whisky to drop out to be Tobermory 12 would be quite sad, I guess, um, because it is a really good dram. It's definitely not one since since we since we recorded the Tobermory, was it, the and Tobermory podcast, the Tobermory's not one I've even thought about returning to.
1: No, 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 actually, yeah, I would, yeah, I would agree with you. What is the think
0: I've returned to the Ben Benhaven, I have. Yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: oh, right, okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Tanned it, have you? Well, it's gone. <laughs> I had to go get another bottle. But <laughs> well, it's from the supermarket, it's uh, pretty cheap.
1: Uh, um Yeah, I'd actually be yeah. No, I I'd actually agree with you there that it's I would enjoy that more than the Buna hum. so therefore yeah. it should go above the Buna Ham.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I've just actually remembered why we put the Buna Havan above the Toba because we thought that the Buna Havan would be the perfect whiskey to share with friends in a pub and also would be the best whiskey um maybe not the best but it would be a great whiskey to have talking points about to introduce people to, <laughs> to whiskey. introduce yeah, people yeah. to maybe more island style whiskeys yeah whereas the tobermory was full and i think under that more kind of highland style whiskey although very enjoyable was not a blow your socks off i think the glenn kinchy probably
1: ticks a lot of those boxes we were speaking about the boona Haven as well a great whiskey to to share with friends to introduce to people and to just tell them like this is a good solid dram that uh it's not one of those marmite whiskies. It's the majority of people will try that Kinchy and go, yeah, this is actually really nice. Yeah. And yeah. So eighth place, I eighth think. Eighth place. What yes. It fits it well.
0: Makes our big wee beastie drop off out the Scotch Whiskey League. A whisky that showed a, showed a lot of promise, but fallen fallen by the wayside. I don't really think it's the first whisky we've lost that I would return to. I yeah, it was the first whisky we lost. Which, is, that which, was actually, which I guess is going to happen. was actually like very enjoyable. Aye. So now we're just losing, uh, from, from now on in, we're just losing whiskies that we actually do like.
1: Why don't we expand the league?
0: Uh, we need to contact the board.
1: <laughs> Members vote. There'll be a missing vote somewhere and uh, we'll never get it through. Aye. Dundee won't get the email or whatever. Dundee went into the junk folder. Uh, well, of course. But yeah, in the eighth place, um with our big wee beastie dropping
0: out. Um yeah, that sounds good to me. I'm okay. thinking that, yeah. I run through the league then. Yeah, absolutely. So we've heard the top five already, but I'll go through it quickly. Mm-hmm. Long Row Red, second at Green, third Gone Scotia, below that you've got the two Springbanks, both local Barley's, different editions. Yeah. 6th, you've got Kleinleys, 14 year old 7th, you've got Ben Nevis, 10 year old Coming in at 8th, you've got The Glenkinje, 12 year old Ninth, you've got Bunahavin Stuart Dar. In 10th spot, you've got Tobermory, 12, something we'll Oof. Potentially lose for the next Podcast, unless the next Whiskey doesn't it's reach It's terrible <laughs> aye, aye, pretty much, aye. it might not reach the top 10 yeah. Which would be interesting Yeah it, 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 for a bad time for our pound I guess I'd be it, disappointed it's always yeah. good to have whiskeys yeah but we'll call it there folks see you later see you later <laughs>